Would you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you so much for the truth of that song. We thank you for all that you have done through Christ um, for us, God, that we are your church and we are your people. God, help us to trust who you are and what you're doing. We pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. You can have a seat. Good morning. Happy Sunday. It's beautiful being here all together, worshiping, loving the Lord. And if you are new here, uh, welcome home. We are a multicultural church. We speak English and we speak a liter of Espanol, <laughs> right? If you don't speak Espanol, uh, we recommend you use Duolingo for the week because we are practicing more and more. Now, here, my name is Armando, and here in Life Community Church, if you go to the website, uh, have you ever been in the website? Yes? How often? Uh, I go every, no, I don't go every day. Okay. I, I have believe. been. <laughs> I believe you use a little bit. Now, if you go to lifecommunity.com, and some of you, the first thing that know about our church is the website, in lifecommunity.com, say new, nuevo, to Life Community Church, and say that, we are a church in Hilliard, Ohio. If you don't know where you are, we are in Hilliard, Ohio, bringing people into growing meaningful relationship with Jesus and others. Now, this is the chicken of the chicken rice. Here at Life Community Church, we do two things, and we try to do them really well. Well. What is these two things? Sunday. Sunday, okay. Groups. Okay, what about if we do something special today and we combine the two things that we do good, Sundays with group? Is that possible? I don't know. I don't know. Can we try this today? Let's do it. Okay. When you combine Sunday with groups, we, you are going to have the best Sunday ever, and we are doing this today. Uh, now, if you are a group leader and you have a number, we are not beating here. Uh, just show the number, and if you are one of these numbers, just go with your group, and let's take 30 seconds to say good morning to someone in your group. Now, good morning. <laughs> 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. <laughs> we have the 30 seconds. Now, um, we have an announcement for the day. We are starting the renovation of the youth area this week. Um, 11, right? Tuesday? Tuesday, if you want to help, you can go to my lcc.info and just sign up to help. Or we have a whiteboard outside in the entrance of the church. Just put your name there, and we will call you, or we will find you, for sure. <laughs> OK, have a great service, and I'm uh, Living this time with Pastor Dan. Yeah. All right. How's everybody doing? Good. You look good. In fact, every group looks amazing, and we're excited to, to split into groups. Um, if you're new here, we want to welcome you. I am Dan. I'm the lead pastor here. And just a couple things. Armando did mention it. We're going to actually be here for about 20, 25 minutes, and then we're going to go off for the remainder of the time into into groups to kind of unpack what we're going to talk about today. So because of that, I'm going to jump right into things. We're in the book of Daniel, right? So 
we were in Yellowstone National Park. Has anybody ever been to Yellowstone National Park? Okay. One of our favorite places. And one of the memories we carry from that trip is this hike that we took. It was about 45 minutes long, okay? What was unusual about the hike was we started the hike. It was freezing. We had all kinds of layers on, right? And so we started the hike. About 10 minutes into the hike, all the layers were off. We're in our T-shirts, and we were hot. By the end of the hike, we had all the layers back on, and we were freezing again. It was just crazy to have such sudden, dramatic shifts in the weather. Now, when we, when we think about life, right, we think about the fact that, that the shifts come in our lives, and they, they catch us off guard. Now, we were prepared in Yellowstone. We knew about the shifts in the weather there, so we came prepared. But are we prepared when the shifts come in our life, when things hit us? Because it's usually not too long before something happens that kind of knocks us off kilter, and we've got to reorient ourselves again, right? And, and when those things hit us, maybe you're going through one now, we have questions. And some of those questions are, well, where is God in this? And is God, is he really in control? Does he really know what he's doing here? So the Bible tells us that one of, of, the, of the characteristics of the God we love, right, is that he is sovereign. He's sovereign. Sovereign. What does that mean? What does sovereign mean? Jeremiah, the prophet, he prayed this prayer. He said, ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Sovereign means possessing or holding the supreme power. Holding the supreme power. So Jeremiah is telling us this about our God. He's got the supreme power. And when you have the supreme power, you are in control of things. And yet sometimes we ask the question, is he, is he really in control of things? And I'll just say to young people here today, that's a question you're going to come up against in your life over and over again. Is God in control? Right? And you're going to wrestle with it as you experience these changes, these shifts that come. The things that you want to do that don't happen. Things that you think are going to happen and it turns a different way. And how you answer that question, is God in control, is going to impact your life, it's going to impact your, your worldview, and it's going to impact what you do. We're in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel. And speaking of young people, it was thought that Daniel was between, I've read the estimates, between 15 and 18 when he was carried off into captivity in a foreign land by an, an invading pagan nation. Can you even imagine going through something like that? This nation was trying to get the Judah out of him and the Babylon into him, and he found himself serving a pagan king. His rights were gone. His home was gone. Can you imagine? His people were scattered. Some of them were with him. Others were left in Jerusalem in, in a city in ruins. Is God sovereign? They had to be asking that question, right? What is going on here? How did we fall so far? Today, in Daniel chapter 6, that question, the answer to that question, is God sovereign, is a resounding yes, as we've seen throughout the book of Daniel. Absolutely, God is in control. He is sovereign over the earthly kings, and he's going to show it again, even in spite of the fact that his people are in a low 
position of power. They've been captured. But he's going to remind them again who's supreme, who's in control. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. Or you can follow along on the screen. Daniel chapter 6. And to one of the most famous parts of the Bible we're going to talk about today. I love this book. I love this, this chapter. It's clear that, that God is with anyone named Daniel. There's just no doubt about it. So I'm going to put up the first two verses here, and you can read it while I explain a little bit. You see, Daniel is now on his third king. This is his third king. Only yesterday, the king had promoted him to third highest in the kingdom, and now he wakes up to a new king the next day. Some of you have that at work, right? You've got a revolving door of bosses that's happening. What happened? Well, a new superpower has come in, and Babylon is now out, and this alliance between the Medes and the Persians are in. And there's a new king, 62-year-old Darius, is the Mede, is king. And Darius was king not over the whole kingdom, most think, but just a part of the kingdom, a province, but he was called the king of that province. And wisely, Darius, we believe, leaves in place much of the leadership, much of the structure that was happening at the time, Right? He left it in place, why? To maintain order and to keep the taxes, to keep the money coming in, right? We see it in verse 2 there. So, so Daniel stays in his position. He's one of the top three in the kingdom now. And he continues to live as he's always lived. He works hard. He has an incredible work ethic. He does the right thing, and he serves his God. And that method brings results. Let's look in verse 3. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps, the leadership there, by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Wow. At this, the administrators, the satraps, tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never... We will never find anything. We'll never find any charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Wow. That is an amazing verse, verse 5. So his work ethic, right, it wins over the king, but his work ethic brings enemies to him, right? What's happening here? Well, let me explain a little bit of what the politics, right, that might be happening here. When Babylon was in power, right, that's when Daniel was captured. He's brought in, he's brought into leadership there. He grows in leadership among the Bob, some of the Babylonian leaders there. Then a new king comes in, and the talk is now that Daniel is going to be elevated over everybody, even the leaders, the Babylonian leaders. That does not sit well with them, right? The position of power before was that they were over Daniel, who they brought in from Judah. Now things are shifting, and you're going to see more of that come out in the story. Now, Daniel, he wasn't into playing politics. That wasn't what he did. He didn't try to climb the ladder. He was being faithful to where God had put him. And if you remember from last week, the last king put him actually uh, in, a, in a position of power that Daniel didn't even ask for. In fact, he said, I don't want your power. I, I don't want the stuff. But he got it anyway because he interpreted the king's dreams, right? And Daniel just seemed to live out this principle that we see in the Bible. In fact, Paul, later on in the New Testament, talks about this principle. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working 
For who? The Lord, right? Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a resort, as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. So at this point, right, when we look at his life and how he's lived, he's got this testimony. There's no cracks in his life. There's no, there's no ways to expose him. He can't be turned. He can't be compromised or extorted. They're going to have to go after his faith. <laughs> they knew, they knew that he would remain faithful to his faith. So they began to lay a trap for him. Verse 6, so these administrators and satraps went as a group, okay? That's important. Power in numbers, right? They went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, advisors, man, they got a lot of names for those, don't they? And governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius, he puts the decree in writing. He does it. And you see it coming. You see it coming to a head, right? Now, the Babylonians, they prefer the fiery furnace. Um, the Medes and Persians are much more civilized. They're going to let lions rip you from limb to limb. But Darius doesn't have an idea here that I don't think that he's being played. Uh, he's got an ego. They're appealing to it. Perhaps this is a chance for him to win, get a win with his advisors. We're not sure. But his enemies have done their homework. They've done their legal homework. There's a way that the law cannot be undone, the entire kingdom, right? If it's, if it's decreed, if it's put in writing, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, it can't be undone. So Daniel gets to this moment of truth, right? And in verse 10, we see it. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. That's the kicker, just as he had done before. You know, some, some will say that he opened the windows to kind of force the issue. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's consistent with who Daniel was. I think he acted just as the verse says, as he had done before. Now, when he learned about that edict, and it says he learned about it, right? He had options, as we do when we're faced with a situation regarding our faith, right? Daniel could have powered up, right? He was third in the land. Perhaps he could have legislated something, like from now on, lions have to wear something over their mouth, or they have to be tied up. Or he could have legislated something against the people who were trying to to oust him, right? And we find ourselves today in a similar position in our, in our country, right? We see America becoming, frankly, more and more pagan. We can take matters into our own hands. That's tempting to do, right? But Daniel was not fixed on changing Babylon or Persia into Judah, right? He wasn't, 
He was fixed on God. He was fixed on God himself as the sovereign God of power. Daniel also could have compromised, right? I mean, it's 30 days, right? Why not stop? We'll come back on day 31 or close the door or just kind of go someplace else and do this. But he didn't. He chose to stay the course and to trust God because for him, the signing of the decree didn't alter. It didn't alter his worldview. It didn't alter his actions, right? He knew that God was sovereign. He knew that God was in control. And do we is the question. Do we believe it? You see, Daniel lived according to a rule of life. A rule of life that emerged out of his belief in God's sovereignty, right? A rule of life, here's one definition. It's a set of disciplines and practices that directs our life, right? And it shows what we value. You have a rule of life right now. You are living by a rule of life. Everyone has one. You look at your practices, you look at your disciplines, and it says what's valuable to you, right? Now, it's interesting, Daniel's rule of life actually permitted him, permitted him to be taken in by an invading nation, to, to, be, to be forced to learn their customs, their traditions, to, to even learn their language. It permitted him to, to work for the advancement of their nation and of the pagan king. It even allowed him to be named after one of their foreign gods. We learned that earlier in the series here, right? He was named Belteshazzar after their foreign gods. His rule of life allowed all that, but there was something it didn't allow. You see, that same rule of life was governed by this. He was uncompromising in his devotion to the one true God. When Daniel had to choose between obeying his God and his government, he chose his God. His God came first. But no, this Daniel didn't demand that the people around him adhere to the things that he was uncompromised about, right? You must live like I live, right? He did, however, stand in any, against anything that, that challenged his rule of life. And he humbly lived where God had put him. And man, is that a lesson for us today, to humbly live for our God where he's put us to serve him. You know, many are on the offensive today, right? Employing their own strategies, taking control, trying to, to make things happen, to protect their own agendas, protect their own opinions, demanding others to adhere to their way of life, looking to gain the upper hand in an increasingly changing culture, right? There's a, a conference that happens every year. I think it's really interesting that um, we're talking about this in the midst of Daniel because the conference is called Exiles in Babylon, okay? Exiles in Babylon Conference. And there was a speaker there who was asked about the future of the church. And this speaker was Kevin Kim. He's a director of Crazy Love Ministries. He's also the CEO of a faith-based tech nonprofit. And they asked him about the, the future of the church. And he said this, you want the spoiler on the future of the church? then it is what has always been. Disciples of Jesus who are constant and faithful and dependent in prayer, devoted and steeped in the word of God, completely surrendered to a life of obedience to the lordship of Christ, given over to the mission of God, serving and loving the poor and joyfully accepting 
suffering, and sacrifice for the name of Christ. It ain't rocket science, Kevin Kim said. Daniel's rule of life was uncompromising. Okay, the trap is sprung. Let's go to verse 11. Then these men went as a group, right, and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown to the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, they're going to drop it here, right? Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. You notice they don't say he's one of us or one of the third in command, right? He's one of those exiles from Judah. Pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group, right, to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Darius recognizes something about Daniel's rule of life. He's going to say it again in a couple verses. It is continual. He continually serves his God, right? Prays three times a day. Doesn't stop for anything. Let's keep going. Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. He could not sleep. This is more than an inconvenience for Darius. He has high regard. He has affection for Daniel. He can't eat. He won't sleep. He's refused Netflix, right? No entertainment. Turning it down. He's looking for a way out of this. What's the way out? And he can't find one. He doesn't. And God, in his wisdom and his sovereignty, is allowing it all to happen to show once again, there's only one way out here. There's only one who can save. Because at this point, there is a 100% chance that Daniel is going to be ripped from limb to limb by these lions. I've seen the nature shows, right? You've seen them on PBS. I watch them, right? They devour. That's what they do. The only way out is something supernatural. Only through God here. And God is going to show that. He's going to show his power and control. He's going to advance his name. In a time when his people are asking, is God there? Is he sovereign? He's going to proclaim it to pagan kings in the area. He's going to proclaim it to his own people who probably have given up in some ways. He's going to hope that they turn to him. 
And he's going to proclaim it to us today in our worldly system. When we encounter worldly powers, they can't save. Only God can save. As Jeremiah said, ah, sovereign Lord, nothing, nothing is too hard for you. Let's keep going. Verse 19, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? It's amazing, isn't it, that Darius is, is asking if Daniel might have survived? Is that not a testimony to Daniel and to his God? But Darius is asking the question, is God sovereign? Is the God of Daniel in control? And Daniel answers. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed, and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den and when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. My God, my God came through. Not me, my God. My God saw me. He came through. And this is another thing about Daniel's life throughout that it's really evidence here. His rule of life was that he was centered on not his own advancement, but God's glory, God receiving the glory through it all. Later on in the New Testament, Peter will say, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify God on the day he visits us. God in his sovereignty chose to work through Daniel. And Daniel got to see the victory in his life, right? Some don't. He got to see it. But the fact is, even though, and we read in Hebrews 11, it says Daniel's faith shut the mouth of the lions. But Daniel's faith did not get him out of captivity. He never got home. He lived his life in captivity. So whether God allows us to see the victory now today or not. There's a truth and a promise for those who follow Jesus Christ, and it's this. There will be ultimate victory. There will be ultimate victory, and it's coming, and it's going to be beautiful. I'll let you read verse 24. This is a tough one, all right? Because judgment comes from Darius, right, to these households. And we get to see just how the lions were held back, right? Just how the angel had shut their mouths. And then we get to what this is all about, because the answer to that question, is God supreme? Is he sovereign? Is he in control? The answer to that comes from the pagan king himself, Darius, when he says, in verse 25, it says, he wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. 
May you prosper greatly, he wrote. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So the answer to the question, is God sovereign over the earth? Is he sovereign over this situation with his people being in a low position of power? Is he sovereign over our health, over pandemics? Is he sovereign over my schools or my kids who seem to have turned their back on God? Is he sovereign over my mental health or of the state I'm in financially right now? The answer is resolutely, absolutely yes. Regardless of where you are in the story, he is sovereign. And you may find yourself today in a a position maybe similar to Daniel's. Maybe you're innocent. Maybe you've been put in some type of lion's den, right? And there there only seems to be one way out. Only God can save. Now, sometimes we put ourselves in lion's dens, and we're not innocent, right? We put ourselves there. But regardless of the the, the case, two questions come out for us in this passage. One, do you believe that God is sovereign? Do you believe it? Because the reality is, if you've elevated yourself above him, you don't believe it. This is a centering passage to put us in our right place. Do you believe that God's sovereign? Secondly, does your rule of life, the way you live, your set of practices, your disciplines, does it reflect that God is in control, that you believe that God is in control, that he's sovereign? That way of life is yielded, and it's disciplined. And you look at Daniel. I mean, Daniel was willing. He was willing to die, right? But he was willing to die for God because he lived for God, right? Some of us say, well, if I'm ever put in that position to die for Jesus, well, then I'll respond. I'm not so sure you will. I'm uncertain. I'm uncertain. But there was one thing that's certain, and that's that right now, right here, in the place that he's put, in, put you, you can choose to live for him, as Daniel did. And we're called, as Christ followers, to die to ourselves each day. Only God can save. Only God can save. Less than 600 years after this, this happened, this event happened, there was another stone that would be brought to seal up another entrance to a tomb that carried the lifeless body of Jesus Christ. And once again, people were saying, is God sovereign? Is God in control? Is he going to come through? And once again, there was, there was only one way that we could have been saved from our sin from our, that separates us from our God, Right? He would have to be raised from the dead. And you know what? It happened. It happened. He's risen. He is risen. And God proclaimed once again to everyone, to the world, that he is sovereign. He's all-powerful. He's able to handle any enemy that stands in the way. In this case, our sin. Our sin that separated us from him. 
Jesus Christ died. He gave his life on the cross. He rose again and saying once again, God's sovereign. God's in control of all this when all hope seemed lost. And he invites us, each one of us, to make the choice today to believe in what he did on the cross and his resurrection, that it, it indeed paid for your sins and my sins and to come humbly and make him Lord. And for those of us who have tasted that sweet victory, we have the chance now to have a rule of life that reflects that God is in control. So I want you just where you're at right now, close your eyes, and I want you to do something. I want you to just for a minute or so, I want you to ask God, God, what's something you want me to learn? What's something you want me to learn from this passage today? sovereign. You are in control. And we want our lives to reflect that, God. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a song together. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. As I mentioned earlier, we are now, now is the time um, we are going to actually go into uh, our group. So if group leaders, if you got your numbers, hold them up just in case anybody needs to find you. All right. So whoever's holding that, if you're in their group, you're going to follow them and we're going to go out and hang out for the rest of the, the time today. So go ahead and head out. Um, groups one through five are in here pretty much. Uh, six, seven, and eight can go out in the lobby and then uh, the rest of them can go out this side door. It's probably the fastest to get to where you want to go.